right. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Painting Pictures. I'm Gabriel Roberts, and that was Kid Hum, a Colorado musician who made an album called Fossil Fuel 2. That's track number five, and it's called Mi Corazon. And I am so grateful in my Corazon to you, dear listener, for tuning in and downloading and pressing play on this little audio nugget. I know it's been a long time. It's been many moons since we last spoke. I'm in Paonia, Colorado, a place I now call home. I'm sitting in the front room of my sweet little single-wide home that is made out of wood and metal and it redefines for me the idea of a mobile home. It's not very mobile, it's actually quite well planted, and it has a special little built-out pop-out where there is a wood-burning stove. And that was my number one requirement when searching for a home for the winter, was to have a wood-burning stove, because boy do I like to sit around a fire and spin yarns into sweaters. Paonia is where I am, and and here I am, folks, and I want to tell you I'm so excited to tell you that I am here, and I have found what feels like a home, and I am living free and independently. I am working, doing this and that, some painting, some construction, some gardening, And I'm making a living, and I feel more like a man than I ever have. And I'm grateful to all of you for helping me develop and get to where I am, and I'm grateful to all the people in Paonia, this sweet little town in western Colorado, for welcoming me and for providing me with the uh, support to build a life here. And it's October, and I feel really excited about the coming months and the coming winter, and I'm ready to welcome in colder, shorter days and snow and inward time. And I've gotten just a little bit of wonderful fall here. The leaves are changing. The aspen trees in the mountains are pretty much done, but they had their fiery spurts of red and orange and yellow and with big billowing white clouds above and blue skies it's pretty gosh darn spectacularly beautiful how about you where are you and how is the fall for you i hope it's good i also briefly want to thank kid hum for letting me play that song even though i didn't ask him didn't ask him, and he probably will never know, but if he does hear it, I hope he knows that I'm grateful, and I highly recommend that album, and I purchased it on iTunes, so I guess that makes me feel okay about playing it without his permission. We'll see, you know, that's just like a little gamble. I just decided that I needed a, that little something in there, and maybe it'll lead to my demise, and the small fortune that I will build through making podcasts and painting houses will be taken away by lawyers for this one time that I decided I wanted to play that song. But I really like that song. 
And I've got a podcast for you folks. I know, um, you know, maybe you thought it wouldn't happen, but I finally have found the time. Today is the first day that I have woken up in this little home alone with nothing to do. No plans, no work, no roommates. I do have one roommate who I absolutely adore. Uh, He's not here this morning. And so it felt real special. Let me tell you, it felt real special. It wasn't super cold. I was able to walk outside barefoot in my robe and pee on the grass in the backyard and gargle lemon water and spit it out and then drink lemon water and look up and in the sky I saw a rainbow. Beautiful rainbow. The sun was coming up and then I came back in I rolled out my yoga mat on this open kitchen floor, looking towards the front window where the sun was rising. I did my sun salutations, and then I sat on my tiny little uh, exercise ovoid, (laughs) and I meditated briefly. And that was okay. Um, It wasn't great, but I, you know, I did it, and I tried to enjoy it. If you're going to meditate, you might as well enjoy it. And I tried to think about how I am here. I am here. And these thoughts that are coming, I welcome them. And I pay attention to them. And I did feel one brief sweet little moment where I felt like I turned my mind on itself. And I like looked at what was coming in. And then it it stopped. (laughs) It was like, oh. (laughs) Oh, hi. (laughs) So... Anyway, um, what what news? What news? Boy, I traveled. I traveled since we last spoke. I was in Smith River, and I had all these ideas about all these things I was going to do when I got back down to Sacramento and all these people I was going to visit. And it turned out that I just got really sick. Well, I went to a wedding, a big, beautiful family wedding, and got to connect with my Robert's family, which was wonderful. And then I got back to Sacramento, and I, I got sick, and I was laid out flat for a week on the couch. And in that week, I had plenty of time to consider all of my deepest and darkest fears, particularly around my concept and desire to return to Paonia. And I wondered, what would I do for work? And I wondered, what would my relationship with these friends and loved ones be like? And would it be different? Would it be changed now that I'd be back looking for work and a place to live? And how would I find a place to live? And where would I stay when I first got there? And would I be a burden on my friends And where would the money come from? Where would the money come from? How would I get the money to get back there? And it was the end of August, and I wanted to be back on my birthday, September 8th. But I didn't think I'd be able to make it. I didn't think I would have the time to save up the money, and so I was trying to build picture frames, and I was trying to line up some work, and I just didn't have the energy to do it. I did manage to relax a little bit and accept it and recognize that it was an opportunity for these fears to come up and be released. And I kept coming back to the the knowing that regardless of anybody else that was here in Paonia or there in Sacramento, for me, the next step in life was back here in Paonia. And that was very clear. And then a couple of things sort of came together. My dear mother bought a painting. Um... Uh, my dear father generously donated a nice little chunk of money for birthday cash and gas. And 
There was one other thing, but suddenly, somehow, without having to work a, a, a bit, I was, um, I got better just in time to pack up my car sweetly and fully with all sorts of things that I would need to start a life. And I had just as much money as I, I thought that I, I wanted and needed to set out on this journey. And <clears throat> so I came back to Paonia. I got back on my birthday and I was welcomed in the most amazing way by the most amazing people. And it was a surprise, surprise party. I'd never been uh, surprised before for my birthday. And I got to stand on a deck outside at night with stars above and see a stream of faces of people that I loved and hadn't seen since the summer walking up to me holding bottles of delicious drinks and sweets and saying happy birthday and, and giving me hugs and uh that was that was about the tops it, it doesn't uh it doesn't get much better than that and from there you know things unfolded i had about 3 weeks i guess that i was here i, I was here um yeah for the for the the, the latter three weeks of September. And I spent that time looking for work and looking for a place and trying to do it in the Paonia way, which is the way of trusting, which is the way of community. It isn't the way of searching Craigslist and calling property management companies. And I did find some work. I worked on a hops farm for three days, harvesting hops. It was probably the most uh, strenuous, dangerous, and underpaid work I've ever done. <laughs> but it made me feel very good and very strong and manly. And uh, I made a little chunk of money there. And then I found this place uh, with my roommate, Brody Kinder. We, we looked for housing, and we, we almost jumped out on a place, the first place that seemed like it would work, but we knew... It was a little bit more than we wanted to pay. We ended up with this place, which feels absolutely perfect. And then I left again, and I went back to California. I had a ticket to go see Duncan Trussell live at the Independent in San Francisco. Two tickets, actually. And I went. I drove back, and when I left, it was a Sunday afternoon. It's the first time I've done one of these journeys and departed in the afternoon. And I wondered why, in God's name... Am I doing this? Why am I leaving at all? I, I don't have... I have just enough money to get back to Sacramento. I don't even have enough money to get back here. And then rent's going to be due. And what in God's name am I doing? Putting all these miles on my car, leaving this town at this time. But I did. And I trusted that there was some reason I was doing it. And as soon as I got a little bit outside of town... I saw, I felt better, I felt myself returning to myself, and I saw that I had become wrapped up in a number of storylines, good storylines with good people, and, and really the whole, the little three weeks of September that I was here, staying with a friend and staying up at a friend's land and searching for an apartment or a place to live and searching for work was really a wonderful experience, and it all culminated in this awesome Mountain Harvest Festival 
I got to dress up and I got to perform uh, improv comedy in the park. And then I got to dance at night. Um, it was just a perfect culmination and I was really ready to go. And it was this little cycle that had ended. And I realized that my state of mind had become closely tied to all of these little storylines. And I realized how easy it is to do that in a place like Paonia where you know everybody and you're constantly running into people. It can be easy to lose your... I'm just testing the audio that this is actually recording. It can be easy to lose your own sense of purpose and your own inner guidance. And it can be easy to toss that aside and jump out of the backs of these other wonderful people that seem to be doing things and just say, yeah, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that. And before you know it, you're totally tied in all around to all these different people. And you may have lost the knowledge that you are in fact creating this entire experience that you are the one that is creating your life and that your life does not depend upon other people you don't need other people to perform certain actions or fill certain roles in your life to be happy or to be content or for things to work out and at the point that i left i was eager to find work and i was there was uh, a work opportunity that I thought would, would manifest, and I was frustrated that it hadn't, and I was feeling a little upset about that. And boy, was I glad that I left, and I pulled myself out, and I got back into my own stream, and I had a wonderful time back in San Francisco, and there's a segment in this podcast about that. And I saw so clearly that I'm creating this darn thing, that I created all those things that happen, all those wonderful experiences. And yes, it is a co-creative thing, and you are creating experiences with other people. But by and large, primarily, it's whatever energetic signature you're projecting, that's what you're getting back. And that's really important to remember. And when I got back to Paonia with things for my little home, and I moved in, and I set up my room, and I sat out in the backyard. We have this beautiful little backyard with a picnic table and benches under a tree with a lawn. And I sat there by myself and I realized that I was now going to be able to have a completely new experience of Paonia. Up to that point, my experience had always been closely tied to other people just by the nature of my living situation. Uh, the fact that I was staying with other people, the fact that when I was here in the summer, I was in this communal artist residency program, that now I would have moments like this sitting in my backyard where nobody knew where I was, nobody would know what I was doing, and I could do whatever I wanted. And today is one of those days, and it's a wonderful thing to Get back to yourself and all the way back down to the basics where it's just you. And can you find peace and contentment with you and the things that you're doing in the day? And what moves you and what does your body need? And this morning I'm recording this podcast. So a few details. Um, I have a P.O. box now. The address here doesn't receive mail, but the post office gives us a P.O. box for free. So if you'd like to send me any mail, um, please do. The address, the mailing address is P.O. Box 1668. P.O. Box 1668, Paonia, Colorado. Paonia is P-A-O-N-I-A. 
and zip is 81428. I'm going to put that <clears throat> on the website in the about section. So you can send me bits of mail and I will read them and I will send you bits of mail back. I also want to thank uh, you listeners for your feedback and one listener in particular named John who found the podcast and sent me a audio recording about 13 minutes long about uh, his own experience with coffee and having to pee and it involved uh, car issues and driving all around Los Angeles <laughs> at one point peeing on the side of an apartment building at 5 a.m. and the resident or resident of the building popping their head out and saying hey what are you doing thank you John for the wonderful feedback that totally made my day and my week and uh, I hope that you are um, I don't know listening more uh, that's the details to support this podcast. Please subscribe to it on iTunes and leave a rating or review on iTunes. You can also donate monies directly to moi. If you go to GabeRobertsArt.com and go to support, you'll find details about all of these methods of support. But most importantly, listen and send me your feedback to GabeRobertsArt at gmail.com or to the P.O. Box, and tell your friends. And I hope and think that I'll be able to put out a nice little steady trickle of podcasts as we settle down here for the fall and the winter. So, dear listeners, without much further ado, um, let's get this podcast started. Just to give you an idea, we've got... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven segments. This is a solo hodgepodge. And the segments are Don't Go to College, Chocolate, Bart, Kiss, Marcy's Grandma, San Francisco Love, and Facebook Messaging. So that'll get you through to the end of this podcast. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Now, enjoy the podcast. Have you got a job? Have you got a job? What do you do? What's your job? Uh, are you going to college? What are you majoring in? Are you going to go to grad school then? You know, it's the job market's pretty rough out there these days. I'm here to tell you there's a different kind of work. And a lot of you know about it. I had a uh, vague concept of work as different than a job. 
Now, when we think of a job, we could capitalize capitalize the J, J O B job. We're talking full time. We're talking salary. We're talking you get your two weeks maybe vacation. We're talking um, holidays off Monday through Friday, eight to five, eight to six, nine to five, nine to six, something like that. Well, I've had a job like that. It was all right. I've told you about it before. And I've had some new experiences out here in Paonia around work. And it's it's work. It's not a job. It's not a job. It's not something that I'm doing every day until I decide to quit the job or look for a new job. They're one day, two day, three day bits of work. I'm getting paid hourly in cash. Of course, I'm um, documenting all of this for tax purposes, and I'm really excited to share all of this with the IRS and make sure that I pay my proper amount in taxes. But I had this idea that uh, work like that didn't exist, that you had to find a job. You had to find someone that was hiring somebody full-time, and that was the way to live. And if you wanted to live alone or on your own outside of your parents' house, you would need a job. You need a job. Then you can rent an apartment. Well, it's not the case. If your rent is low enough, you don't have to make $50,000 a year. What I want to say to young people out there that are thinking about going to college is don't. Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. A lot of your friends might be doing it. You don't have to do it. Learn something. Learn something real. For example, have you ever cleaned a gutter? Climb up on a roof, wear a pair of sneakers, get a pair of rubber gloves, clean a gutter. There are millions of elderly people across the country with gutters clogged with tons and tons of decomposing leaves that are sprouting little elm trees. And the weather is coming, the rain is coming, and these old people in their homes know that up there their gutters are burdened and... A big storm could overflow the gutters and just cause water to run everywhere and a big mess, and they need those gutters cleaned. Now, they might, they might go to the phone book and look up gutter cleaning, or they might look up handyman and ask if, if, if you do gutters or they do gutters. But they also might, if they have a young friend in town, call up a young friend and say, hey, can you come clean our gutters? You know, we'll pay you 10 to $15 an hour. You go over there, four hours of gutter cleaning. I mean, that's like a big house. That's like these old people live in a mansion. But you got yourself a little bit of pocket change, and you're, 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 you're learning something, and you get better at it. Now, gutter cleaning is pretty simple, but um, what about painting? Have you ever painted anything? Maybe you've got an uncle uh, whose porch the paint is peeling and it needs to be scraped down and sanded and repainted. And point is, there's work out there always. People living in homes, homes constantly degrade and gardens constantly grow and yards constantly get overgrown. And if you are able-bodied and willing to 
be outside and be active, there's work out there for you. There's as many people as are probably sitting around saying, oh, there's no work. I can't find work. I can't find a job. I just need a job. I can't find a job. There are probably just as many people, if not more, sitting around saying, God, I could really use a little bit of help here. I'm getting older. I just cannot keep this shit up anymore. I really love having all these plants, but the labor is too intense. Uh, I really love my old home, but damn it, I'm going to have to sell it and move. The roof is starting to leak. and So don't go to college. Just start building things and fixing things and gaining experience. And before you know it, people will be calling you up and you'll have more work than you know what to do with. And you'll have plenty of money and you'll be completely free. Can you imagine that? Cash money in your pocket. Skills in your fingertips. Knowledge. Skills. Maybe you start buying some tools. You know, maybe you get into it. Maybe you start building some chicken coops. Who knows? Who knows where it could lead? Uh, But if your parents are willing to pay for you to go to college, they're probably... You could make the argument they should be just as willing to pay you to fix up their home a little bit. And so tap your families, you know, call your uncles and your aunts, your grandparents, especially go around door to door, offer to mow lawns, rake leaves, start compost piles. People start composting, gather all the leaves that are falling and pile them in your backyard, get a couple bags of chicken manure, throw them in there, collect compost from people. In a couple of weeks, you'll have a huge mound of dark, black, beautiful soil. And you can sell that shit. People buy compost. I don't know. You know, I don't have all the ideas right now. But the point is that there's a different kind of work out there. And it's work that is done on a need basis. And it is directly related to a need. It's not something that is like, okay, we're going to generate this abstract job for you that is going to exist for perpetuity and we're going to find ways to fill it with tasks and you agree to sign away give us the majority of your waking hours or half of your waking hours and in exchange we agree to give you a check every month the other kind of work the kind of work that i am talking about is work done on a need basis where somebody needs something done and they pay you to do it. It's very simple and it feels very good and clean and direct. So that's that. Go find work. Don't go to school. If you want to go to school later, fine. If you are a genius and you're really into math and you want to go study, go to school. But if you're not really sure what you want to do, if you want to party a lot still, if you still feel the need to get really drunk for a lot of nights and smoke a lot of weed, you know, don't do that at school. It can be a fun place to do it, but you can find, you can go to those parties. You can go to the college closest to you and just go party with people, but don't waste all that money 
and get into debt and get your parents into debt by going to some stupid school where you just feel guilty about not really committing yourself to your classes and then you get out with the burden of a debt and a degree that you need to put to use. There's no need to go to school. Find something that interests you like welding or carpentry or glass making or whatever. You're ready to learn something. It just isn't necessarily sociology or anthropomorphism. <laughs> You can't go wrong with chocolate. It's a proven fact. Everybody likes chocolate. Nice bar of chocolate you can get for $2.50 maybe. If you've been invited somewhere and you don't know exactly what to bring, bring chocolate. Even if you've been invited somewhere where there's no expectation of you bringing anything, bring a bar of chocolate. Boys, men... If there are ladies in your life that you want to impress, bring a bar of chocolate. Now, I actually, I, I take that back. I, I'd like to take that back. That, that's, that's what Mindy Kaling would say. Mindy Kaling wrote a book called, mm, it's just me over here, something like that. It's really funny, but in one, there was one chapter where she laid out advice for men boys on how to be good boys or good men. One of the suggestions was to bring chocolate everywhere you go. I think that's actually a, a fine, a fine suggestion. And uh, there's something unexpected about it because nobody really, I mean, if you're having like a big potluck and it's like, Who's going to bring dessert? Well, you know, maybe somebody makes an apple pie and brings that. And that's fantastic. And But the chocolate is so unexpected and subtle and like, oh, you brought chocolate. Like, it seems so simple that you just you just overlook it. No one thinks to just buy chocolate. Buy a bar of chocolate. It's $3 or less. You can break it up. You can pass it around. People love it. And they love you. And they're like, oh, we had dinner Dinner was good. You know, people brought different things for dinner. It all tasted really good. But now we're sitting back. The dinner's over. And here comes this bar of chocolate with a fancy wrapper. And, ooh, does it, what does it have in it? Does it have almonds in it? Ooh. Does it have orange peel in it? Ooh. I like that. I like this. This is different. This is new. This is unexpected. So I don't mean to do this like... The thing that bothered me about... Mindy Kaling's book, some of the other bits of advice, let's see, were um, get a get a pea coat, get a good <laughs> pea coat if you're a man, you know, a dark, long jacket and a good pair of dark jeans and a pair of Converse All-Star sneakers, black, and buy a new pair of sneakers every year. So it's basically telling men how to dress so that they pass then get approval from women i say f that men dress however the hell you want to dress wear a ratty ass coat if you want to um 
you know, it's not your responsibility to, to impress or, or pass the requirements of, of some girl. And so let's see what some of the other uh, requirements or suggestions were to get a cologne and wear a small amount of it every day. That's kind of a nice idea. I, I appreciate the idea of, of wearing a small amount of cologne because we all know that too much cologne is really a bad thing. But I might change that to uh, stop using soap and shampoo and allow your body's natural scent to surface. If it smells bad, change your diet, you know. Or if it smells really bad, start using deodorant again because no one likes that. Uh, But chocolate... um, I guess, you know, there is something, like, about when you buy that bar of chocolate and you take it somewhere where you are, like, looking to please. And maybe you're looking to impress women. But there's also something really nice about it that doesn't have to have anything to do with trying to impress anybody. And it's just like, okay, it's just a little piece of advice, all right? It's just a suggestion. Chocolate, you really can't go wrong. And if you're grasping, if you're grasping for what should I bring, you know, oh, do I bring wine? I don't want to, you know, uh, just go with chocolate. Safe, easy, and Mindy Kaling, it's a wonderful suggestion. These are the things that bother me. These are the things that bother me. BART stands for Bay Area Regional Transit. It's been around a long time. I heard something about it being the longest continuously running or longest running system of its kind or something about its trains being the oldest of their kind. That I certainly believe. Uh, The Bay Area, of course, is in California and it's centered around San Francisco, the great city of love. And as far as I'm concerned, the primary purpose of BART is to allow people to get to and from the city of San Francisco, especially if they live in other parts of the Bay. And once in a while, it involves San Franciscoites to journey out into the East Bay to places like Fremont and Pittsburgh Bay Point. If you've, or Dublin Pleasanton, if you've never heard of these places, um, I don't blame you, because they happen to be where these lines end up, and there are about five different lines in the BART system. It's a strange five-armed creature of a map. It's not very elegant or geometrical, and the lines are named for their endpoints. Which makes things a little bit confusing when you're trying to get somewhere on BART and your destination perhaps isn't the end point of that line. Say, for example, you want to go to San Francisco. You know, just an example of a place that you might want to go on BART. Well, 
the actual line that goes to San Francisco is called SFO Milbray. SFO is the three-letter acronym for San Francisco International Airport. Now, maybe you didn't know that. I don't blame you. And Milbray is the burb of southern San Francisco that's near SFO. So, I took BART the other night. On a Saturday night, I boarded, or I entered the BART station in downtown Oakland at 12th and Broadway around 9.30 p.m. I wonder if you can guess where I was going. If you guessed San Francisco, you guessed correctly. One would think that entering the station at that time, or at any time, in that location, there might be a sign that indicated which line to board to head to San Francisco. I don't know, this just strikes me as somewhat logical, that the vast majority of the people getting on that station, entering that station at that time, are probably bound for San Francisco. But no. There's no sign that says San Francisco. There is a line, one line, with an end destination of SFO Milbray. And in my confusion, I assumed that perhaps there were many lines that would get me to San Francisco. Every time, I've ridden the BART dozens of times, and every time I have to go and I look at the map, and I get on the wrong damn train, because I'm confused, and I think that, well, the trains are essentially going in two directions, and I just need to get on the right direction. Well, that's overly simplistic, of course, and naive. You must seek out SFO Milbray, and it's probably not on the main platform. Of course, there's two platforms, there's two layers to BART. All I wanted to do was go to San Francisco, and all I wanted was a sign that said, San Francisco, this way. And I don't think it's too much to ask for there to be such a sign. Everybody wants to go to San Francisco. And if not everybody, at least half of the people in that station at that time. So you would think that you would be able to just follow the herd, follow a sign that says San Francisco. I pity the tourists that don't speak or read English or know that SFO is the abbreviation for San Francisco International Airport and that that is the end destination on a line that goes to places like downtown San Francisco. Would it be too hard to name the line San Francisco, seeing it is the, it is the only line that goes to San Francisco? I don't think so. I ended up getting on the wrong train and taking it a stop, getting off, changing trains, going back to the station, getting confused at where there's a transfer station and whether or not I'd be able to transfer to the line that went to San Francisco. And meanwhile, of course, the entire place is operated by robots and all you have are blinking signs that talk more about keeping your personal belongings safe and reporting suspicious behavior than next train for San Francisco departing in this many minutes on this platform. Gee, that would be helpful. These are the things that bother me. These are the things that bother me. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they shouldn't. But these are the things. These are the things that bother me.
Kiss. Not only is it a great painting by Edvard Munch, it's an incredible physical, metaphysical, and spiritual act. And when you love somebody and you kiss them, you are bringing together, potentially, two separate, complete, multidimensional, intergalactic beings into one teeny, tiny, little segment of space and time. And that is the space between your lips and the little bit of time it takes to have a kiss. It's not something to be underestimated. It's no small, routine, meaningless act. It can be. But a good kiss involves collecting and centering oneself and bringing all that you are to bear in that one special moment. At the same time, observe and understand the entirety of the person whom you are kissing. Understand all of their beauty, all that they are. Try, if you can, to see them completely in all their grandeur as this magical being that exists in front of you and wants to kiss you. It's unbelievable. And if you can bring all of yourself to bear, if you can think of it as a 10-second meditation, where in that moment where you're kissing your sweetheart, nothing else in the world or in the universe matters a bit. Anything that you're concerned about that day, let go of. Any ideas you have of this kiss being a part of some sequence that's going to lead perhaps to sex, let go of that idea. Just focus on that moment and that kiss and try, if you can, to summon all that you are, to center yourself and bring in your higher self, your lower self, your everything. Bring everything that you are into that moment. And then the amazing thing about a kiss, it's your lips. It's like the pinnacle of your body. It's this little tiny peak right up at the top. And so you can pull everything in and then you can pull everything up from your feet and bring it to bear right there on your lips is everything that you are. And then you're transferring that. You're sharing that to another person. It's pretty gosh darn amazing and spectacular. And I wanted to share that little visualization so that perhaps you can go out and have a really effing awesome kiss tonight tonight and maybe throw it in maybe you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend and there is 
a little routine you have of, oh, hello, welcome home kiss or a good night kiss. Bust it out in that moment where it's usually mundane, where you're already thinking about the next thing. Think about nothing other than the incredible beauty and spectacular grandeur of the person and being that is standing in front of you and that is willing and desirous of touching their lips to yours. If you can really, really grasp the, how big that is, how incredible that is, that out of all space and time, you two beings have ended up in this same place and you have everything, all of your past. Of course, we don't, we don't know all of our past. We don't know everything about our past lives or where we've been or where we're going. But I think energetically we can understand it. We can sort of know it without knowing the specifics. And if you can bring your grandeur to bear on your lips, and if you can see the grandeur of your sweetheart, and feel it through their lips. You're in for a treat. You are in for a treat. The other day in California, Sacramento, Sacramento, California. <clears throat> Carmichael, actually, was Carmichael, which is in Sacramento County, which is in California. Okay, are we ready to move on now? Do we all know where I'm talking about? Okay. I saw a minivan with license plate rim that read Marcy's Grandma. M-A-R-C-I apostrophe S Grandma. And it struck me that this grandma, this dear, sweet lady, was eagerly identifying herself with a child. She was eagerly tying her entire identity and sense of self and existence in this current world to a child. That seems a little off to me. I don't, I don't know about you, but I hope that when I reach the age of being a grandfather... I have some shred of identity that is independent of one particular child who is my grandchild. Now, I'm sure Marcy is great. I'm sure Marcy is the cutest little girl. The cutest little darling, darling granddaughter. And that Marcy loves her Grammy so much. But Marcy's grandma, surely there's something else in life that you care about. Surely there's something in life for which you live besides this child. I'd rather it said Jesus's grandma. Or <laughs> I'd rather she identified herself with Jesus because at least Jesus is like a bigger kind of abstract concept of wonderful values of friendship and freedom and generosity. I don't know. I, I might have to take that back. I'm not going to take it out, but 
What I'd like to think about, or I'd like to know, is how this license plate rim ended up on Grammy's minivan. And I have just a feeling. This is just an idea. We'll never know. Unless Marcy's grandma or Marcy is out there listening and they email me. We'll never know where this license plate rim comes from. But my theory is that Marcy's mother, who is Marcy's grandmother's daughter, went and got this little license plate rim printed. And she showed it to Marcy and said, Look, Marcy, I got this license plate rim for Grammy. Isn't it great? Now she'll drive around and she'll tell everybody who sees her car how much she loves her granddaughter because you, Marcy, are Grammy's favorite and then she presented the license plate rim to marcy's grandma and said look mom look what i got you it's a license plate rim and it says marcy's grandma on it so everybody will know that you love your granddaughter marcy so much and she's your favorite and i wonder how marcy's grandma reacted perhaps she was nonplussed and didn't have the heart to say fuck you time to lay down some love for the city of San Francisco. But first, a brief recap of why one might hate the city of San Francisco. Number one, it's too damn expensive. Like the great political party, the rent is too damn high. The rent in San Francisco is too damn high. The food is also very expensive. The drinks are expensive, gasoline is expensive, vintage clothing is expensive, furniture is expensive. Number two, and related closely to number one, an individual living in San Francisco ought to make at least $50,000 a year. And that's to be making it. With $50,000 a year, you can probably make it in San Francisco. To be living well, in the city of San Francisco, one ought to be making in the neighborhood of $80,000 a year. $80,000 a year. Now, of course, you're spending half of that on rent, and to secure an apartment, let's move on to number three. Finding a place to live in San Francisco is complete madness, and it's a perfect illustration of how back-asswards and twisted things have gotten. I remember going to look at an apartment in the Castro with my sister, and this is in the year 2010. Before things got as crazy as they are in the year of our Lord 2014. I apologize (coughs) for the background noise. (coughs) 
going through some serious rain. Hmm. So item number three, finding an apartment. My sister and I showed up at this open house that was posted on Craigslist. It was a beautiful apartment and we found, we arrived I think around the time that the open house was to begin and there were at least 30 people in the building and there were couples and partners and pairs looking to rent this two-bedroom place which was nice but was laid out sort of strangely honestly it wasn't the perfect apartment but the location couldn't be better and it had hardwood floors and so of course the landlord could charge whatever the hell they wanted which was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 to 2300 dollars a month now these days that might be a deal these 30 people took their time uh, perusing the facilities, but of course their minds were set on proving and showing and demonstrating to the landlord in this brief period of time that they were the smartest, funniest, most economically stable, best housekeeping tenants in the world. And a queue formed, a queue, which is a line of people formed to talk to I think his name was like Skippy or Benny or something like that, the landlord. And these people had with them in their hands uh, beautiful little folios, including most recent pay stubs, cute photographs of them with their dogs maybe and their names below so that the landlord wouldn't forget their faces, little bios, snippets about things that they like to cook, how they really wanted to start a little uh, garden in the back patio and how they are so clean and keep the place so fine. And these people were lining up to plead with this landlord to allow them to drop $2,500 at his feet every month. If he wanted to elicit sexual favors in that uh, situation, I'm sure couples would have, would have dived right in. Uh, when you're renting a place, you should be lining up for tenants to show them that your place is good and that you'll fix things for them and that you'll take care of the, them and, and the place for the $2,500 a month that you're going to get paid. It's not the other way around. So then we get to item number four and this is a more societal idea and this is the idea of pursuit of material wealth and status. And this is something that is prevalent in San Francisco. Um, people associating their identities with the things that they wear, the style of their apartment, the uh, industry in which they work, the kind of car that they drive and fixed-geared bicycle that they ride. And there's incredible pressure on people entering this city to fit in somewhere and everybody asks you well, not everybody asks you but again we're in the hate section so I'm gonna say everyone asks you first what do you do and that's where conversation begins because of course people spend the majority of their waking hours at their desks or maybe in some new fancy shared office workplace but certainly sitting behind a computer uh, takes up a lot of that time so all of that is reason to want to stay the fuck away from San Francisco, not pay that high rent, not be scrambling in a rat race where everything is super competitive for every little tiny niche. 
and one is encouraged to find one's niche and hold on for dear life and gradually work your way up to the top of that niche. And we could also say niche, if you prefer. This is a sick way to live. This is a limiting, more than anything, this is a limiting way to live because you're pinning yourself to one particular aspect of human experience and saying, I am that. That is me. And I never will be anything other than that. And all I want is to be that. How does one know what one wants to be in two years or two days for that matter? Uh, aren't we living in a, in a universe that is constantly presenting new challenges and opportunities and experiences? And aren't we as multidimensional beings desirous of experiencing a wide spectrum of that? I know I am, friends. So all of that combined can give one a bit of a sour taste when it comes to the idea of San Francisco. And once one moves away, as I did, um, can give one a, a lot of ammunition and fun to poke fun at all those people that are spending all that money and to feel a bit superior. Because I'm now paying $215 a month for rent. I'll let that sink in for a moment. $215 a month. Oh, I almost missed my turn. Well, I did miss my turn. Okay, on to the love. What do you say, folks? I recently visited San Francisco, and I had a wonderful time. I got to spend time with old friends. The weather was fine and warm and clear and windless. And there were beautiful buildings everywhere, beautiful vistas from the different hills throughout the city, and beautiful people walking around, smiling, happy-looking. Um, I met some new people and had some fun interactions. I got to spend a night cruising through the Mission District, surrounded by hordes of young people out looking to have a good time. And overall, the vibe was welcoming. It was relaxed. It was friendly. It was exciting. It was invigorating. And what I realized is that in San Francisco, there is a concentration of some of the brightest lights on planet Earth. And although some of them may be trapped in illusions, they are still there, and by and large, their hearts are exactly in the right place. What they want is community. They want a sense of community and family. And they want to uh, go on hikes on the weekend, and they want to camp, and they want to see natural beauty, and they want to protect and conserve the environment. And they want to help other people, and they want to raise children in a conscious fashion. And they have a tremendous amount of power. And they are giving that power away currently to corporate entities that are squeezing the life force from them and converting it into dollars and cents. But there nonetheless exists this massive sink of youthful energy and creative force that needs nothing but a, a little shift in consciousness, a little uh, expansion of awareness to see the illusion that they are tying themselves to and to reject it completely. And that's an infectious, infectious action and energetic. 
and it can spread through a place like San Francisco very fast. And I believe that it already is. I mean, I believe that it's there and it's it's trickling around. But at the same time, the the powers of chasing money and the pressures there are becoming slicker, and they're becoming more daring and audacious and willing to do anything to maintain control over the population. But that is not but a sign of change. As things become more extreme, inevitably they reach a tipping point, and we are on our way. And San Francisco, dear, beautiful city of light and love, city of freedom, city of art, city of fine food and global culture, you are going to play a central role in the revolution. big problem with Facebook messaging. It's getting worse, folks. I remember when a message was sort of like an email. This was before the days of Facebook chat. Or it was when Facebook chat was separate from Facebook messaging. At some point recently, they moiged. And what you end up with is this everything conglomeration where you can click on someone and open a tiny little chat box and say hey what's going on and that will be forever stored in your message history and then you can be writing a message uh, in that tiny little box and you hit enter and it sends it when you're really just trying to make a hard return and start a new paragraph that's really frustrating because then it's sent they might be reading it instantly, and you have to hurry then and finish the rest of your message and, and get it through to them so that they're not left with an incomplete message. But where it's really getting sick is when you send somebody a message, it tells them that it was sent via web or sent via mobile. So that person knows that <clears throat> you maybe were at home or they know that maybe you were on the go. And then, even worse than that, and this is this is where it's truly sick, people. I believe this is where it's truly sick. You send somebody a message. You go to the message page, and you see your little paragraph and your little face there in blue, and you can reread what you sent them. Then below that... Once they have clicked on opening the message, a little strip of text will read, Seen at 11.17 a.m. Or whatever time it happens to be that the recipient of your message opened and viewed your message. Now, why do you want that information? Why do you want to know? Well, maybe you're eagerly awaiting their response, and you're agonizing over whether or not what you wrote came off right and expressed what you 
wanted to express. And maybe you're concerned that you said too much. Maybe you concern, you're concerned that you, you, you came off too strong. You came on too strong. Or maybe you're concerned that you sounded too casual. And boy, to quiet your beating, racing heart and fretting little mind, what you really want is a response from that person that reassures you that everything's okay. You're freaking out about nothing. It's all fine. Or maybe you're waiting for them to reciprocate and meet you in this new level that you're taking this relationship because maybe you're communicating with someone across the sea and you're telling them that you love them and, you, and, and you're saying it over Facebook because they don't have email or, or whatever. And Facebook works great. It's just like email, right? Well, it's kind of fucked up to be able to see that they've opened the message and then sit there and wait for the response. At least when you don't have that information, you can assume, well, they're probably out. They haven't gotten it yet. They probably haven't gotten it yet. But when you know that they've opened it and viewed it, you know that they're sitting there reading your words and considering their response. And... That just makes it a hundred times worse as a sender awaiting a response and curious about a response and concerned about your own writing to have to know that the recipient has heard it, read it, sitting there, considering their response. It's all bad, people. It's all bad. That doesn't belong in correspondence. That has no place in correspondence. That's contrary to the point of correspondence. Also, I mean, even emails in general where you can go back and reread them. It's, it's not a good place to be. You, a letter you write, it's whatever it is when you wrote it. You fold that baby up, you put it in an envelope, and you send it off, and you are clear of it. You have, you have made something, you've produced something, hopefully honest and true, and you've sent it away. And... It is traveling across to wherever the recipient is. They open it. They get exactly what you laid out. They get privacy to read it. As a reader, when you open a Facebook message now, it's no longer a private act. There's no privacy in reading it because you know that as soon as you open it, the other person knows that you opened it, and they know that you have it, and now the clock is ticking for you to respond. So I just think this is probably causing a lot of high school boys a lot of unnecessary angst and drama. And that, it just doesn't have, to, it doesn't have to be that way. Why do they have to put that in? Why do we need to know that? Give me one good reason to know that. I guess it's like, oh, I, I don't know if they got it. Well, that's a nice excuse to have when you don't get that response back. And you can write another letter. And you can say, I don't know if you got my last letter. You know, uh, here I'm going to lay out these things again. Maybe you write them better. Um, maybe then you do get a response, or maybe you don't get a response, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, probably she did get both of those letters, and she hasn't written back. And you make up your own mind about that. But at least it gives you some gray area to be sovereign and, and, and accept who you are and what you wrote, and not constantly be reviewing it and wondering minute by minute by minute by minute by minute what they're thinking as they read it and why they haven't written you back yet. 
So fuck you, Facebook messaging, and your sick, twisted little update of scene at blah, 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 blah. Okay, Plumbagos, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, send me an email at gaberobertsart at gmail.com. The website for the podcast is gaberobertsart.com. I hope you have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, night, month, year, life. I'm going to leave you with a song. This is a cover of the White Stripes song called Hotel Yorba. It's a beautiful song, and this is my little rendition. Enjoy! I was watching with one eye on the other side. I have 15 people telling me to move. I got moving on my mind. I found shelter. In some doll spinning wheels around I said 39 times that I love you To the beauty I have found Well it's one, two, three, four Take the elevator at the hotel y'all But I'll be glad to see you later All I got inside is vacancy I've been thinking Of a little place down by the lake It's got a dirty old road leading up to the house I wonder how long it will take till we're alone Sitting on the front porch of that home Stomping our feet on the wooden boards Never gotta worry about locking the door Well it's one, two, three, four Take the elevator at the hotel yard But I'll be glad to see you later All I got inside is vacancy It might sound silly For me to think childish thoughts like these But I'm so tired of acting tough And I'm gonna do what I please Let's get married in a big cathedral by a priest Cause if I'm the man that you love the most You could say I do at least Well it's one, two, three, four Take the elevator at the hotel yard But I'll be glad to see you later All I got inside is vacancy And it's a four, five, six, seven Grab your umbrella Grab a hold of me cause I'm your favorite fella All I got inside is vacancy